Welcome to the Sunation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Van Busicum. Joining me on the show today is James Jim Salfer. He's an Extension Dairy Educator for the University of Minnesota Extension. We'll be talking about the sometimes difficult subject of operating and transitioning a family dairy business. And so, Jim, I really just want to extend a thank you for you to take time out of your busy day to kind of talk to our listeners about something that can be so difficult and so trying. You know, it's an emotionally charged situation, and I think people are hungry for knowledge and for answers to their questions about how this all works. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to join you. And it's interesting because my background, just like yours, really isn't in this area. And I can tell you have a lot of passion and you do too, because I think many of us grew up on kind of smaller farms maybe, and we really like the lifestyle that we had and we want that to continue. Yeah, I uh, didn't grow up on a dairy farm, but I started milking when I was 11. So at 31, I decided to hang up my uh, full-time milking gloves, if you will, and just be a veterinarian, but I still miss it. You know, it's that kind of nostalgia and everything. And I think a lot of folks that grew up on dairy farms, well, maybe they don't all miss it, but they all have memories of it, you know, and it impacts them for the rest of the way they live their lives. So for me and for others, I'm sure, you know, family farms can be really great. You've got established traditions, you're working alongside family members, and there's a legacy, but there's challenges with those kinds of family-owned businesses that non-family-owned businesses don't experience. Can you kind of elaborate on, on some of those specific challenges that you've seen? Yeah, I meet with a lot of families, farmers that are trying to transition their farm. and We have a lot of open discussions and meetings, and I often tell people or in presentations that family businesses can really be the very best place to work, but they can also be the worst place to work. And you touched a little bit on that. Part of that, I think, is because of that kind of family, for lack of a better term, complication. Uh, You have a lot of history. There's a lot of times emotional decisions get based on emotion, kind of based sometimes on history. There's a lot of nostalgia and some of this decision-making. Oftentimes, they have a very strong heritage. And so I, I think... Um, I think those can create some challenges, but at the same time, they can create wonderful dynamics. Sure, Evan, you see it too. There is nothing that makes my heart pitter-patter more than seeing like three generations working together. So the grandparents might be working with their grandchildren on some kind of project. You know, the dad at this point or the, the middle generation might really be making a lot of the decisions if everybody respects everybody and they run it at a business, it can be the greatest place to work. Um, but some of the challenges I see sometimes are that sometimes family members feel a little entitled. Sometimes the incoming generation, or maybe it's just based on age or that we kind of have this male-dominated thing, although it's changing rapidly, um, and they may not believe or they may believe they kind of inherently have the skills growing up to be a a dairy farmer or another kind of farmer sometimes there's this pressure that they need to follow on the family heritage but they really don't have the desire to do it and then i think sometimes there's this pressure to really carry on the heritage that boy i really need to do it whether it's the same business my parents had. So I think there's there's some challenges on both sides. But as I mentioned earlier, it can be a great place to be in business or it can really be a poor place also. Yeah, I think that, you know, there definitely can be a, uh, maybe a sense of entitlement from a younger generation coming back. But as a younger generation 
where I see a lot of my colleagues, friends, family coming into and trying to take over or grow into a, a business. I see it from the opposite side, I guess, where a lot of times when they're trying to transition the farm from maybe parents to kids, parents see the value of everything they, they've worked so hard for, right? I mean, they've worked hard every day to, for be it pigs or dairy or beef cattle or whatnot. I mean, they've put a lot of sweat, blood, and tears into building this business, and they see the price tag of the assets. But sometimes as they age, they it seems to my experience that they sometimes forget that it's not just the ticket price. I mean, every farm in Minnesota, I'm sure, when you take a look at their assets, they're a millionaire, but they certainly don't have a millionaire type lifestyle, you know, because it's all tied up into equipment, et cetera. And um, so I just feel like sometimes the, you have to make a choice for the old or listeners that maybe are thinking about transitioning further to their kids or, you know, some other family member, you got to make a choice if you want the payout or if you want that next generation to do the farm, because at least in our area in South Dakota here, if you're paying land value, the, the land value, the sticker price, it's going to take a long time for you to pay that ground off farming it. And so is that something you've also seen in some of your travels and negotiations or, or educational events in Minnesota? You cannot charge full retail price for a farm when you're transferring it. You're, you're really setting up your children to fail if you're trying to do that. And so I think we often have the discussion, how much do you need out of the farm to live? And it's a, it's a really, really sad day to me when I see that. And the family needs to have, the older generations needs to have such a big family draw that they, you just can't make it work. So I think you're right. I think we need to think back and, and think about what the goal you're trying to accomplish. And if it's really to pass on the family farm, then make sure you structure it that it's successfully transferred on. And it can be a little bit tricky to navigate because sometimes these off-farm heirs that may not feel like they they really don't care if the farm gets transferred on or not. Now, there's not a lot of those, but once in a while, they'll see that, well, mom and dad, you aren't going to sell the farm to uh, Jimmy or Jenny at that price because what they're seeing is a big inheritance. So hopefully that through really good communication, we can make that all work out. But that's the other thing. You're exactly right, Evan. You 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 just can't make it work. If you're charging full retail value, especially for the land. So what are some common traits you see that hold family dairies back from realizing their success? I think some of them are, um, they don't really quite know what their values are. I think you've got to get everybody kind of on the same page. Uh, The other thing is I I think sometimes uh, kind of two things happen. The younger generation has this vision, I'll use an example, is... Maybe they want to expand and put in a robotic dairy and it's going to be, you know, a couple million dollars. Well, they, their expectation is maybe that, well, I want a farm. And so mom and dad, you have to finance this for me because I don't have the money to do it. I mean, that can create some real challenges. Uh, the other challenge, of course, is just the opposite is they'll move into a farm. You know, maybe I'll, I'll use kind of an extreme example. It's a 40 cow tie stall barn. And um, Jenny or Johnny are going to come back and they're going to farm exactly the same way mom and dad did for their entire career. And they don't really have a good plan on how am I going to make this farm viable for me for long term. So I think, again, I, I think you really need to make sure that this is a business and a viable business. 
and both partnerships are, are both generations or multiple generations are kind of marching in step. So they kind of have that same vision of where they're going down this path to make the farm successful long term. So going along with that, you know, what are some of the key elements that are encompassed in the term family gravity? You know, that's interesting. I ran across that. I was reading an article. I get the Harvard Business Review. Uh, isn't it uh, obviously a dairy or an agricultural magazine? But they, they did a survey of businesses throughout the world, and they kind of lumped a bunch of stuff together that they called kind of family gravity that was one of the keys to success. And what are one of the things was really good governance. And I, I see that a fair amount that sometimes, and this isn't often, but these successful businesses were operated very professionally from a kind of a business standpoint. And they tried not to mix these business decisions sometimes with family dynamics, I'll call it. So they really tried to be very transparent. There were no business agendas. I sit on a lot of farm management teams, and a lot of these are transitioning. And one of the rules that we kind of have is what is said here stays here. So if we're upset at somebody, you know, my brother or my dad make a decision, we're not going to start posting it on Facebook. We're not going to start posting it on social media. We're not going to go to church. What is said in this business meeting stays in this business meeting. The other thing that we really try to emphasize is um, that what you want to do is make sure that you're not picking sides or picking teams. So I'm going to kind of say this or do this, but I'm going to side with so-and-so. Um, the other, So we really don't want that to happen as we go on with this. So that's, I think, are some of the keys. And then the other thing we try to say is silence is acceptance. You'll sometimes see that on farms, especially if you have a real dominating personality. You know, people don't agree, but they kind of go along just because they know it's going to create strife in the family. And I always tell people, disagreements are normal. I mean, I would expect when I sit down and have this kind of discussion that not everybody's going to agree. What's not normal or what becomes toxic is when these disagreements kind of become personal. Um, I think, again, and it's hard because these are family. You need to kind of try to separate in your brain. This is now a family meeting. We need to do what's best for the business and kind of keep the personal try to as best as you can try to keep the personal out of it so i think that's really important so along with that it's really important that everyone has a defined value and defined visions for a vision i should say for what's going to happen with the farm for that yeah very much so yep i think i mean that's one of the we actually do a class called planning your dairy farm future we thought it was about business planning, but it's really ended up being a lot more about multi-generation farmers working together. And that's one of our exercises we do along with personality tests. But we sit down and we have everybody on that farm uh, identify their own values because really the values should drive the, biz- uh, the, the vision of where the farm is going. And there's kind of two types of businesses out there, and I'm sure you see them, Evan, too. And they're what I would call a kind of a family-first business versus a business-first family. And it sounds maybe kind of a little academic. Well, what the heck is the difference? Well, you know, family-first businesses really think about the family first. They still have a successful business. I think sometimes people think, 
well, we can't be successful. I can go to some very, very successful, profitable businesses that are family first businesses. So they kind of err on the side of helping families. So they, there's a place for all family members if they kind of want to come in. Now, of course, you need the economics. But uh, a business first family, every decision that's made is purely a business decision. And if you don't bring the right skill set, too bad, you're out. Well, a family first business might say, well, can we adapt the business to your skill set or can you, where might you fit in? So it's more of a mindset. Same thing with compensation. A business first family is clearly going to have compensation. The CEO is going to make considerably more than everybody else. Whereas a family first business, even though some people may have more skills, they aren't going to have exactly the same compensations or nor should they. But they're going to think a lot more about, let's. this is family, let's make sure we treat it as a family. So I think that's really important. But that's going to be based on the family's values. And you need to kind of, if you've got very divergent values in the family, it's going to be harder to make it work. Not saying it can't, but it's just going to be harder. So I, have, I kind of have two questions. Like, First is, so there are successful, it doesn't matter which one, it's just as long as everybody involved is on the same mindset, right? Either family yep. first or business first, and you can be successful with either or. Yeah. Okay, so I just that was a clarification. I just want to kind of, that's what I was thinking in my mind, right? And then the second part of this is, so this class that you offer, is that through the University of Minnesota Extension? And if so, are there any other classes that are available and or resources that they you guys provide for farm transitions as well as farm business development? We're really fortunate in Minnesota, but I would encourage everyone as they go through or thinking about transition. We have a program called Minnesota Dairy Initiatives, which is funded by grant through the um, through the Department of Ag, and I work really closely with them on these, and all of Extension really does. Um, but if you're in your other states. What we do is we actually have hired coordinators that set up these teams on farm, not just transition farms. We solve mastitis issues. We solve feeding issues. But a lot of, I think, what they're good at is these soft skills. But I would encourage everyone to set up. And, um, you know, Evan, you may clearly have the people in your place that can also do these. But as people are trying to determine these roles and navigate these on farms, my observation is you almost need a third party, I'll call it a moderator, but that's not quite the right, the right term. Somebody to organize this and ask the questions and keep everybody on track. Because sometimes these are kind of some hard questions need to be asked. And sometimes it's really hard for internal family members to do that. I mean, think of all the successful businesses out of there. Many of these large, successful businesses will hire a consulting firm to come in and do this. And there's often people, I said Sioux Nation may have them, there might be somebody else that you have um, that you work with as a farmer, if you're listening, that might be able to do these. But I would encourage you to set up a team of people on your farm that kind of can help you walk through and then stay on track. And part of it is it just kind of holds everybody in the family accountable. So those were some things. I, I think if you're not in Minnesota, if you're in Minnesota, we can set you up. Matter of fact, right now we have some special money, the Department of Ag, just to set up transition teams on farms because all of our upper Midwest states are going through kind of this huge turnover 
Um, and it's, it's continuing. All farms are different, but a huge turnover of farms. And as farms have gotten bigger, the transitions maybe, maybe have gotten a little more complicated because often there's multifamily members involved. But I would encourage everyone to do that. But that is a resource we do have specifically in Minnesota. Awesome. We're kind of coming to the end of our time here today. So I wanted to really, you know, thank you again for taking the, the time to, to talk to us and join us today and, and share your expertise. Is there any other advice you'd like to add? Uh, just a couple of other comments of things that I've seen on farms. You'll never start talking about transition too early. Even if your kids are in elementary school, uh, you need to be talking with your older generation or your spouse. Do you want to transfer on the farm? How do you want to position your farm to transfer? Uh, Just be talking to people and be thinking about it. And again, elementary kids or teenage kids, you don't get them to try and commit to come back and farm. But I think it's good to just kind of be probing about what that might look like. And then make sure you are setting that younger generation up for success. Be as transparent as you can be. I I will argue for over-transparency, for under-transparency. And then make sure, even if they really want to farm and they're junior Caesar in high school, make sure they go out and develop the right skill set. Ideally, I'd like to see them go to school somewhere, maybe work on another farm for a couple of years. But make sure you set up that younger generation for success. Absolutely. That's something I'd echo just seeing my peers. the uh, As soon as you can, start gifting land, start gifting machinery, gifting cows, or passing those things down so it's not a lump sum at the end because nobody wants to see all the work they've put in get taken in a, in a state tax or, or taken by the nursing home or, or whatnot. Transferring that all is is paramount yeah the earlier you can start you're right evan the earlier you start the better you can structure that to be successful and to minimize taxes so thanks again so much jim i appreciate you coming out thanks evan i appreciate it and uh thank you listeners for listening and and giving us your time today and if you didn't find this useful at least you found it interesting thank you thank you